remember trying to talk to you in high school Couldn't even get a look cause you were too cool But now we're older and we're playing by the new rules We lived and learned Cause it's Hello again everybody and welcome back to Random Discard I am Clues, one of your faithful hosts And joining me as always is Rich Rich, how are things tonight? Things are going really well That is really, really good to hear Stupid Adian Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So we we have some uh so listeners, if we could talk. Some of you might be web developers. Some of you might maintain web pages. And if you do and you have ads on your web page that play sound at all, stop. Just seriously, what's wrong with you? Stop it. You're a bad person. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot that I will just say straight up, yeah, you are a terrible person if you do this, but, uh, yeah, this one, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, you're, you're a terrible person. Stop that. It's got to be real bad if Clues agrees with me. Yeah, I know. When, when Rich and I agree on a thing, you know that it's just, this is straight up, that's the way it is. So, that's what I'll say. Does Wizards have their own page for the reserve list? Uh, you know, it's funny you should ask that. It's funny you should ask that. So, uh, dear listeners... Just in case you, you know, hadn't noticed from our tweets and things over the past week or so. Tonight, Rich and I are going to, for once and for all, fix all the problems with the reserved list. That's what we're going to do tonight. It'll be easy, breezy, an hour, we'll be in and out, it'll be, it'll be great. In preparation for this show, I've been trying to track down the actual official Watsi page where they discuss the most recent changes to the reserved list, which happened back in like 2010 or so. And the answer is, no, currently they don't. So as near as I can tell, technically, right now, there's no reserved list. Because the page that it was on is currently 404, because they recently moved to some new servers, and they changed around, you know, how the backend worked on their web pages. And so a bunch of the old content is just gone. And this is one of them, which I think might have been an oversight. But at least for right now, technically, there's no reserved list. Uh, listed on Watsi's webpage. There's no... Okay, so technically what it's called is the official reprint policy. But like I said, technically that, that, that document does not exist on the internet. And of course, if it's not on the internet, it's not real, right? That's totally how this works. No? That's a pretty accurate statement. Yeah, it seems fine. I mean, we're not lawyers. Let me also say, before we get too deep into the show tonight, uh, we're not... Rich, you're not a lawyer, right? I am not a lawyer, but I we used to want to be when I was growing up. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I am also not a lawyer, so some of the things we talk about tonight may uh, wander near the realm of uh, legal issues. We are not giving legal advice, okay, just to be clear. Um, and we don't actually know how law... I watched season one of Daredevil. I think that makes me almost a lawyer. That, that's enough. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how I understand it. That's all it takes, right? The law school thing is just a racket. You don't... You don't need that. I mean, after all, if you can represent yourself in court, technically, I think that means you can represent anybody in court. And so you're automatically a lawyer. I don't think you actually have to be represented by an actual lawyer. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't think you do. But I watched I watch season, you know, the first season of Psych, and he helped be a lawyer for a while. So. Oh, great! That gets it. By the way, to be clear, everyone, if you're a lawyer, we're we're not we're not really making fun of your profession. It's just we're trying to. Some of you are needed, and some of you need to be wiped from this face of the earth. I'll actually agree with most of that statement. I'm going to say that maybe we don't wipe you from the earth. Maybe you just get a different job. Let's let's be nice about it. Maybe you just shouldn't law anymore. I guess, yeah, that's where I'll go. Just stop lawing, okay? 
There are too many of you. I need you to stop. Maybe, maybe you can go get a job removing web ads that play sound. Because I'm pretty sure there's a demand for that. But we do want to talk about the reserve list tonight. If you are not an Eternal player, this probably doesn't affect you. If you are not a Magic investor, this probably doesn't apply to you. Look, I'm also going to say, I'm just going to go ahead and lay this on the table right now. I don't like people who are involved in Magic just for the investment potential. There, I said it. Well, they're not, it's like not Magic players. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not really a controversial statement. Uh, I know that most most magic financiers, those who are, are just in it for the monies, they're in it for more than the monies. They probably either used to play or still occasionally play or might dabble in playing. So, yeah, okay. So let's let's just back up. Let's back up. Let's head to uh, the past. Let's dial up the wayback machine to the early early days of magic. Quick, I need I need to know what the lottery number was for that next day. Uh, seven. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Excellent. So magic, when it started back in the early days, it was freaking hard to get a hold of. I mean, we're, we're going way back to the, uh, the nineties, like 93, I think it was the end of 93 magic came out. So 93, 94, uh, right in there, that area magic first came out and they literally couldn't print the stuff fast enough. Okay. That's why uh, alpha, beta, unlimited, and revised all existed because they made alpha and they sold all of it. And so then they made beta and they sold all of that. And then they made, uh, unlimited and revised. And I mean, they just couldn't keep this stuff. I, I mean, once magic caught Un- on. Unlimited, it sounds like an oxymoron there. It, it really does because it was not unlimited. There, there, there was not an infinite amount of it. Damn it. Uh, so magic in its infancy was, was hard to hang on, hang on to, right? And certain cards, as always, are more powerful than other cards. Uh, back then, rarity didn't mean what it does now, right? So they didn't really have, for instance, in the early days, and this is kind of going off topic here, but it's kind of what I, if, if you're one of my students in one of my college classes, you know that I like to digress. Or, hey, if you've ever met me, you know that I like to digress. Or if you listen to the show. Or if you listen to the show, you might know that I like to digress. Um, they didn't have a set symbol color change for rarity, so you just kind of had to knew, know which ones were the rares and which ones were the uncommons and those sorts of things. So some of the cards were rarer than others, and some of the cards were better than others. I mean, look at in the in the early sets in Alpha, Beta, Unlimited, and Revo- we we had the mocks, right? We had. Uh, you know, Mox Ruby and Mox Emerald and I guess other colors too. I don't know. And uh, we had Black Lotus. And these were cards that were stupidly powerful. And uh, Richard Garfield, the guy who invented magic, he's gone on record as saying, look, I didn't really expect people to have play sets of these cards. You know, Black Lotus was a card that like maybe, maybe one member of your play group had one copy and that's that's how it would work. So he didn't really grasp just how much magic was going to catch on and just how much people were yeah, That's why I always think that's fun. That's really funny how that thought process was. Oh, we made them as powerful as they were because we never thought someone would ever have four in one deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they eventually had to invent the whole four in one deck limit on cards because of that. Uh, but as time went on, you know, Watsy started to make expansion sets. They started to add, uh, more cards, uh, to the card pool. And we eventually got this idea of, you know, rotating formats and all that kind of jazz. 
And meanwhile, the powerful cards were going up in price. Now, going up in price, I mean, like your dual lands, because, I mean, let's be honest, the dual lands are really the problem that we're going to try and really talk tackle tonight. The dual lands might be like, ooh, $10 or $15 for, you know, an underground sea, and ooh, that's crazy expensive. Or at least it was <laughs> back in the 90s. Now, that being said, if you have actual, real, non-counterfeit, indecent shape underground seas that you're willing to share, sell for $15, let us know, because we could, we could use some know. of those. That would be awesome. Uh, but anyway, fast forward a bit to, uh, I want to say it was 1995 or so, when 4th Edition and Chronicles happened. And this, this could best be described as a mistake. And I think Watsi has even officially said, although again, tracking down some of those old web pages is kind of a problem right now. Watsi has even officially said, yeah, that was, that was totally our bad. We screwed up. Uh, so in fourth edition and Chronicles specifically, which Chronicles wasn't really a proper expansion so much as an extension of fourth edition, as I understand it. Again, I was not playing at the time. Um, I was busy, let's see, 95. I was busy leaving for college, so... I was watching X-Men, the animated series. Yeah, I was going to say, I was mostly reading X-Men comics, but uh, by the time Ooh, I got to college... The I, I was, 90s, that's a, that's a rough point in comics. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Uh, God, when did when did the death of Superman happen? That was early 90s, wasn't it? I, th I want to say 92 or 93-ish. Yeah, somewhere around here, I still have like the alternate covers of that, I think, sealed in their original the, bags. Those might actually be worth something. Yeah, they might be. Maybe. I mean, I don't know about nothing like, you know, Spider-Man 1, but something. Yeah, although somewhere I also do have the first uh, Spider-Man that Todd McFarland was the artist on. That was, that's, that's like, I think my most expensive comic. I think. Huh. Anyway, uh, man, boy, sometime we should have a show about comics. I'll add that to the list. Um, although, hey, speaking of which, the anime episode went over really well. I don't know if you've been looking at the comments. Uh, that That's good. On those. So that went over. Maybe we'll have another anime episode soon, maybe covering but some other we, genres. We, we didn't even scratch the surface. Oh, God, not even close. So, back to magic. I'm sorry, we digressed on the digression. It, uh, so, Chronicles happens, and Chronicles is mostly reprints. It's, it's basically a greatest hits of magic from the previous year set. The problem with that is it tanks the secondary market. There were cards that were like 50 bucks that dropped to virtually nothing overnight because they had been reprinted. Now, this was kind of a vulnerable time in Magic's past. And I've talked to some folks who lived through Magic's past because I've, I've long been a passionate opponent of the reserved list, which we're, we're not even there yet, but we're going to talk about here in just a second. And a lot of people have said, look, I understand that you hate the reserved list. Everyone hates the reserved list, but it was a necessary evil. It's what magic had to do at the time to prevent magic from collapsing. Because the secondary market, whether we like it or not, the secondary market is really what supports magic. It doesn't make Watsi any money directly. It's not like Watsi gets, you know, 5% of every secondary market sale. That doesn't happen in any way, shape, or form. But, but look, the I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, they make the money from places like Star City buying in bulk. Yes. So when Star City buys a dump truck full of the latest set and either sells those packs or sells those boosters or uh, cracks them to try and get rares, that's where the money gets made. Which, 
makes me kind of wonder how much product they buy because like when they start doing the pre-orders and stuff, yeah, they like guarantee like twenty of some of the like you know super powerful mythics. They like guarantee these things. They do, and that's a, and that's a lot of product to get like get some of that stuff. I am sure that when uh, a new set actually gets delivered to someplace as big as Star City Games, that that the best description of what happens is just man. I hesitate to use this 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 particular phrasing but i'm sure it's just an orgy of opening packs that you've got people basically in a warehouse just cracking case after case after case and sorting just do you think do you think they get the product early and are able to crack it early just for their their what they do based on my very limited experience and i don't I don't work for Star City in any capacity like that. I've I've judged for them, but I've never actually been at their headquarters. But I have been at some certain other, which shall remain nameless. It's Atomic Empire in Durham, North Carolina. It's a great shop. You should check it out. Uh, game stores. The product actually comes in, I think, uh, a few days after the pre-release, but before the release event. So they have it a few days early. Okay. It's not like crazy early, like months or weeks early, but I think it's a few days early. I want to say around Wednesday of the week between pre-release and release, I think is about when it usually shows up. Just because like Star City, they put their, like pre like that card spoiled, they have pre-order up. They do. Absolutely. Like the instant that it happens. And I've, pre- I've pre-ordered in the past. I they, they shipped it the day it came out. Yeah. Of like, I'm like, I'm really impressed that they're able to get this stuff and guarantee that they have the quantity for people. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of shocking because you're you're right uh, to guarantee, you know, like twenty or twenty five of a mythic. Oh, you've got to crack a lot of boosters to make that happen. And it's not just you know Star City; it's you know Channel Fireball. It's a lot of those stores that offer that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Uh, so secondary market in '95 is taking this big hit where a bunch of cards that were worth a lot of money just tanked overnight. And so this causes panic, not just in the secondary market, like the retailers, the game stores that, you know, you'd finally convinced after a year or so, hey, we've got this game, you should go ahead and invest in this, people are going to want to play it, please buy some. But you also have the collectors themselves, where uh, people had spent either lots of money or lots of time acquiring cards that, you know, had some sort of a value that just evaporated overnight. And so Watsi had to do something. And the something that they did was a decision which, uh, the, the effects of which shall reverberate through the ages. They create the reserved list. And I'm a little unclear if it's the reserve list or the reserved list. I, I can't tell because I can't actually find the original pages because they're currently 404ing. But for the time being, we'll add the D. It's the reserved list. And these are cards that uh, they're not going to reprint, right? So uh, they essentially make a list and they're checking it twice. And the list is cards that they promise, look, we know we reprinted a bunch of these things, but we promise we won't reprint anymore after this point. So the first iteration is mostly rares, some of the uncommons, 
uh, maybe all of the uncommons. Again, I'm a little unclear as to what exactly was on the, the original first reserve list, but basically take everything prior to fourth edition, take all the rares, throw them on the reserve list. And Watsy just says, hey, we're not going to print any of those cards anymore. Uh, this stabilizes the secondary market. It gives them some assurance and it lets the game continue to live. Right, so uh, store owners aren't like, well, screw these guys, they're just going to reprint everything, I don't care, I'm not really going to support it. The collectors can go, okay, fine, I spent a god-awful amount of money to get my moxes, that's okay, they're going to be worth a god-awful amount of money six months from now, or two years from now, and that's okay, I can, I can sell them to, you know, put a down payment on my house. And by the way, having been around a lot of legacy players for a long time, I cannot even begin to count the number of them who said, oh yeah, I had to sell off my Power 9 so that I could buy a house. Now, you're not going to buy the entire house, usually, for that, unless it's in Detroit, but that's really a Detroit joke, because um, I'm back in Michigan now, I can do that. But, uh, you know, if you need to very quickly liquidate something, then you could, you could totally do that with your Power 9. So, this is kinda how it sits for a while. There were some updates to it, some changes here and there. Uh, you know, another thing that a lot of people don't realize about the reserve list, and the reserve list currently has something like 500 cards on it, maybe, I think 571 are the numbers that I hear, uh, tossed around a lot. Uh, the first big change that I know of happened at, uh, 2002. And in 2002, uh, Watsy basically said, look, okay, this, this whole reserve list is, is working fine, but from this point onward, we're not gonna add things to the reserve list. We're just gonna stop here. So from Mercadian Masks onward, nothing's gonna be reserved. So anything new that, that happens from them, we'll just, we'll just go ahead and do that. But at that time, they removed the commons and uncommons that were on there from limited. So they, they pulled off some, 2002, we had a change. We not only said we're not putting anything else on, but we took some off, which is weird, right? People think, oh, once it's on there, it can never come off. Well, at least once in the past, they pulled some stuff off, but, that reserved list had some loopholes in it. Uh, one of the loopholes that used to exist is uh, foreign language cards. They actually could have printed foreign language cards that way. Uh, another one that existed, at least for a long time, was uh, premium cards weren't listed on there. So in other words, sure, uh, a Tundra is on there, but if I printed a Foil Tundra, that was actually okay under the letter of the law of the original reserve list. But roundabouts 2010, they made the last big change that I'm aware of to the reserve list, and that big change came about, let me see if I can find it here, because I had to go find this one in uh, a cached version because uh magic reprinted some things in uh dual decks phyrexia versus the coalition as well as from the vault relics as well as some judge promos they printed some things that were on the reserved list and that pissed a lot of people off because we essentially went from 2002 to 2010 without mucking about with the reserved list. But then in 2010, it's like, oh, well, here you go. We're just going to go ahead and print a couple of things that were on the reserved list. But it's fine because they're totally in promo versions. And that that rattled a lot of people's cages. So in 2010, they closed that loophole. And they're like, nope, nope, for realsies, we did this. We're sorry about that. We're not going to do it again. It's fine. 
everything is fine here. How are you? And that was the last big change. And fine now, here. We're fine here. We're, we're all fine here. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's where things stand. Now, what's, what's the problem, right? You could say, oh, those are all old cards. Who cares? Well, yeah. And if you look at some of those cards, they're terrible. Uh, some of them are absolutely often like, I, I think, let me see if I can find it here. Is, is Kudzu on the reserved list? I feel like it is. You know, there are a few cards on here that you see them and you're like, really? That's on the reserved list? Yeah, there it is. Kudzu. Kudzu is actually on the reserved list. Have you ever played Kudzu, Rich? I've never heard of it. Like I said, do you even know what the card Kudzu is? Uh, well, first of all, there is a thing called Kudzu. This is a funny story. Here's an aside. Uh, so Kudzu, for those of you who live in the South, you already know this. Never mind. Uh, kudzu is a vine. Uh, it's like a, a ground hugging vine that was imported to the U.S. from Japan. Uh, at least I think it was Japan. Someplace in the Far East. And it was imported into the U.S. as kind of a, a decorative uh, plant, and it was going to be used for some erosion control. You could put it on, say, a hill where uh, things were washing away and it would grow well. The problem is uh, kudzu grows really well in the U.S., and it has nothing that really kills it off. And it'll grow over damn near anything. It grows crazy fast. If you leave a car parked in the wrong place for a few days, the kudzu will just grow right over top of that. And nothing really eats it because it's terrible. Although some people eat it. So if you eat it, don't, don't write into us. Yes, I understand. Some people do that. But, uh, kudzu the card is just a crappy enchantment. It's an enchantment. It's an aura. It costs one green green. Uh, it enchants a land. When enchanted land becomes tapped, destroy it. That land's controller attaches kudzu to a land of his or her choice. So it overgrows your land, and when you use it, your land dies, but then you can move it to another land, because the kudzu isn't. Oh, I get it. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting little card, but it just doesn't see any player. But it's totally on the reserve list, so they can't print that anymore, which is great. But here's the real problem of what's on the reserve list. Uh, things like the Power Nine are all on, on there. So all the Moxen, uh, Black Lotus, uh, Ancestral Recall, all those guys, those are all on there. But, but the big problem, the big just holy crap, really problem is that the dual lands are on there. All of the original dual lands. So, uh, you know, your Badland, Taiga, Tundra, Underground Seas, Volcanic Island, Tropical, all those guys. And those are kind of important cards. Right. If you're going to try and support a uh, eternal format like legacy or like vintage, you need a mana base. And without that mana base, you just can't you can't break into the format no matter what deck you want. It's just not going to work out well for you. And so if you look at the popularity of some of these uh some of these eternal formats, those prices are just spiraling out of control. How out of control? Well, let's take a look at, uh, say, an unlimited underground sea. Or, no, we'll go revised. Revised underground sea. Do you know how much a, a single copy of revised underground sea is going for right Isn't now? Isn't it like 400 bucks? It is $400. $400 for a single copy of a single dual land. And that's crazy. You know, if you're trying to build a deck that actually needs some of these things, not even, you know, I mean, the, yeah, the fetches. The fetches are expensive because they're used in modern as well, but still, those were modern printings. Those There were lots of copies of those cards, 
But these old ones, the dual lands, no, there were not that many of these cards. Were I mean, sure, they're they're better than say the the Moxin. I mean, I think the Moxin are in the thirty thousand range for the total number that were ever printed of each of them. It's somewhere around there. It's like tens of thousands. For the dual lands, because they were printed all the way into revised, I want to say it's more like hundreds of thousands. I want to say the number I think I've seen is like 300,000 worldwide of underground sea that you can find. Over time, we're losing some, right? Every, every time there's a fire, every time there's a flood, every time there's, uh, I, I, I don't know, a disagreement that breaks out in a parking lot and you have to tear up an underground... I don't know why would you tear up an underground sea. Oh, oh, because it's an island. That's right. Um, we're getting fewer of them over time, and as we get more people interested in the formats, more people playing, the demand goes up. And so these prices just keep spiraling up and up and up and up. And it's essentially priced people out of things like Legacy and uh, definitely out of Vintage. Now, it could be argued, and we'll, we'll get more into this, into the philosophy here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, it could be argued that these formats are actually uh, self-limiting, right? So, sure, they're expensive, but if people really want to play, they'll pay for them. And that's, that's certainly an argument that can be made, that the free market is essentially establishing the price. But at the same time, imagine how great it would be if you really wanted to support Legacy, if we could just reprint these. That would be amazing. But we can't. And I do mean we can't. Let's just, let's go ahead and nip this part in the bud right now. Watsi cannot break this promise. Now, I hear you. I hear you put down the pitchforks. Yes, I know technically they can. You're going to say, oh, but it's not really a contract. In fact, it's not even a verbal contract, technically. Yes, but it is an implied contract. And so uh, here's the part where Rich and I aren't lawyers. There are basically three kinds of contracts you can have. There's an actual contract where you sit down and it's all in writing and everybody signs it and you walk away. All right. So like your lease, if you lease an apartment, your lease is technically a contract. If you break it, there are legal ramifications. Then there's a verbal contract. So I tell Rich, hey, Rich, I will pay you $10 if you go on the air and say that you love green. And then you, you I need to pay me a lot more than that. Yeah, I was gonna say I know it's not gonna happen. But if Rich then goes on the air and says I I love green and I don't pay him the ten dollars, well we had a verbal agreement, right? We had both essentially said, hey, you do X, I'll give you Y, and then he does X and I don't give him Y. Well, now he's got a claim against me. Then yeah, there's the, don't you have to have like witnesses to verbal contracts? Oh uh, yeah, you do, you do. Uh, but then there is, and again we're not lawyers. Then there's the implied contract where basically. Through your actions and through your behavior, you've made it so that everyone involved agrees what's going to happen, right? So, uh, for instance, uh, let's let's see if I can come up with a good for instance. I don't know that I can right now. Uh, let's say that, and here's an example I've actually seen used online. Let's say that Rich mows my lawn for me. And every time Rich mows my lawn, I send him a check... Uh, within seven days. And then one day, Rich mows my lawn, and I don't send him a check for like six months. So six months have gone by, and I haven't paid him for mowing my lawn. And he's like, what's up with that? You always paid me within a week. Well, we had an implied contract. We had an implied agreement that certain behavior would be followed. And I have now deviated from that substantially. So that's that's a problem. Now, whether Rich could actually sue me for that successfully or not, well, I don't know. Maybe. But the, real, the lawyer. The, yeah, the real key is, he could sue me, 
it's just not clear that he would win, but he certainly has some grounds to argue that, hey, for two years, Clues always paid me within a week when I mowed his lawn, and then I mowed his lawn, and he didn't pay me, and he's just saying, oh, well, I've got forever to pay you. Well, no, he doesn't. So Watsy has this kind of... They, 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 they built, like, a sort of Damocles to hang over themselves that basically said, we promise, we swear, we're saying it out loud so everybody knows, we promise we're not going to reprint these things. So if they reprint them now... They're liars. Yeah, even though times have changed, there are a whole slew of people who theoretically could sue them for. Now, I don't even think that that's necessarily their biggest concern is getting sued, because I think they might win a lot of those cases. But it takes time, money, and resources to actually battle those. And is that a fight worth having? And even if it is a fight worth having, you have just thrown away so much capital because they've built a reputation. They've got 20 years of saying, we're not going to reprint this stuff, and our word is good. You can trust us. They would just crumple up and throw away 20 years worth of trust. Now, I think that Watsi has demonstrated that they are capable of reprinting things without breaking the market, without breaking the secondary market. See also Modern Masters 1 and 2. Whether you liked the sets or not... How, how about just Modern Masters 1? Okay, let's just look at Modern. Modern Masters 1 contained Tarmogoyf. Tarmogoyf, very expensive card. It was like 100, 150 bucks around that time. They reprinted it, but it's not like they were handing them out like candy. Even though they reprinted it, the price went up. And that's an argument people will make, is, oh, the price went up, there's no reason that they shouldn't, it'll just drive up demand, etc., etc., but that misses the point, right? They made a promise. They they have to stand by that promise, I think. And I, I'm pretty sure Watsi agrees, which is why they're still standing by that promise, quite frankly. Uh, so it, it all comes down to this implied contract that they've got with us and the goodwill that they've created and showing that they're a trustworthy company, that the things they say, even though the people at the top might change, even though that the company might change hands, even though they might be bought out by Hasbro... It's still going to be okay. And more of they're just more of owned by Hasbro. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hasbro it's just uh, slightly different. Cashes. The- but that's another thing when you take into it. It's Hasbro. There is a publicly traded company. Yeah, and they have to. They they can't deviate from that stuff because that that reflects bad on Hasbro. Hasbro sure as hell does not want those sorts of headaches. I can tell you that right now. Mm. Not that I work for or speak for Hasbro in any way, but, you know, if they want to send us a check, that's cool. We'll disclose it. We'll totally tell you people that we've been bought out by Hasbro, or at least paid off by Hasbro. That's perfectly fine. Unless we sign a confidentiality agreement. Well, then, of course, yeah. Hasbro, you could definitely buy us out, by the way. Oh, yeah, we totally have a price, and it's well within Hasbro's uh, realm, so that's cool. Uh, now, I've seen various articles as I was researching some stuff for this show by, uh, you know, a lot of folks over the years who have talked about uh, the reprint policy and the reserved list. Some of them are uh, a pretty, hmm, how can I, how can I describe them this way? Uh, do you know who Ben Blyweiss is? No. He's the owner of Star City Games, and he has advocated in the past for getting rid of the reserved list. The That's guy who actually owns the company that is arguably the largest secondary market retailer on the planet, has argued against the reserve list. For Magic the Gathering. That's right. Let's just be clear. Let's not tell people things. Yeah, okay. Sure, sure. 
I don't think they do a lot of a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh. Actually, hey, Yu-Gi-Oh is a very good example of what the world might look like if Watsi weren't a responsible and b the reserve list existed. My understanding is that with uh, with Yu-Gi-Oh cards, you can have a set where uh, there's a really really powerful rare card that's like crazy expensive, and then the next set comes out and they print a bajillion of them and it just tanks the market. Um, Yu-Gi-Oh is um, nothing but power creep, and they are essentially an eternal format. Yeah. Like, what was legal when they first came out is still legal to this day in tournament play. It's just that you don't bother because the newer cards are so much better that you don't... So much power creep, and they are super loose with the the ban hammer. Uh Uh-huh. And they uh, they do tons of stuff that are like the... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, limited, like you can only have one. Like there's some you can only have one in your deck. There's oh, some you can only uh, restricted. Have yes, yeah. like they are so loose, loose with that. Like okay, you can only have two of these. You can only have one of these. And they have some of the stuff they first like. Uh, can't think of the name of the, some of the cards, but those are cards essentially destroyed a target like spell. So it'd be like a destroyed enchantment. Uh huh. But they don't have a lot of that stuff in general. So the card that just flat does it is super powerful. Huh. So the world could be a very different place. If, yeah. Um, uh, look at the Yu-Gi-Oh! Game. metagame. Talk to Yu-Gi-Oh! players. I have a good friend of mine who's a Yu-Gi-Oh! player, and it's he says it's just pure power creep. So I went digging for the reserved list policy, the, the official magic reprint policy, and the best I found is a cached version. I will put a link to that cached version here in the, in the show notes for this, this episode. But I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read all of our listeners at home, not all the cards, but, uh, the, the substance of what it says. So, uh, here's, here's from Watsi's uh, actual mouth. The official reprint policy. March 2010. To maintain your confidence in the Magic game as a collectible, we've created this Magic the Gathering card reprint policy. It explains why we reprint cards and lists which cards from past Magic sets will never be reprinted. Note that, never be reprinted. Why we reprint cards. The Magic trading card game has tremendous appeal as both a game and a collectible. For us, however, the Magic game is first and foremost a supreme game of strategy and skill. We choose to reprint cards because we believe A. The cards we reprint make for enjoyable gameplay, and B. All Magic players deserve an opportunity to play with these cards. Any card that isn't on the reserved list may be reprinted. Reserved cards. The complete list of reserved cards appears at the end of this document. Reserved cards will never be printed again in a functionally identical form. A card is considered functionally identical to another card if it has the same card type, subtype, abilities, mana cost, power, and toughness. No cards will be added to the reserved list in the future. No cards from Mercadian Masks set and later sets will be reserved. In consideration of past commitments, however, no cards will be removed from this list. The exclusion of any particular card from the zer- from the reserved list doesn't indicate that there are any plans to reprint that card. Uh, non-English cards, the reprint policy applies to both English and non-English cards. Virtual cards. This reprint policy only applies to physical printed cards. It does not apply to cards released on Magic the Gathering online or in any digital distribution. Tournament legality. All policies described in this document apply only to tournament legal Magic cards. Premium cards. Here's here's a key change that was in this document. 
A previous version of this policy allowed premium versions of cards on the reserved list to be printed. Starting in 2011, no cards on the reserved list will be printed in either premium or non-premium form. And lastly, special purpose reprints. Wizards of the Coast may print special versions of cards not meant for regular gameplay, such as oversized cards. So there you go, there's the substance of all the text, and a lot of people latch onto, and the whole reason that I, I, I read this, a lot of people latch onto this, cards will never be printed again in a functionally identical form part. And here's, we get, here's where we get to a philosophical discussion that I'd like to have with you, Rich, and that is the letter of, this, of the reserved list and the spirit of the reserved list. So by the letter of the reserved list, if they print, for instance, a snow-covered dual land, technically they're getting around the reserved list, because it's not exactly the same card. But functionally, it's pretty much the same card. So it might not violate the letter of the reserved list, but it certainly violates the spirit of the reserved list. Yes, definitely violates the spirit of it. And I don't think they're even willing to do that. I, I don't, don't think, think so. that's going to happen. I mean... You know, you could say, well, the Shocklands are so close, but no, the Shocklands have a design difference. You know, there's there's this extra bit that goes into it. Do you want it to come in tapped or untapped? Do you want to pay the life or not pay the life? That seems like a way to go. Uh, so if if it's substantially different in design, they're okay with it. But there seems to be a threshold, and they haven't really stated explicitly what that threshold is. But certainly after 20 years of behavior, we've got a pretty good view of what that looks like, right? Yeah, I'd say so. So what, what do you, what do you do? How do you, how do you fix this? They, I, I think we all agree. And I don't know if we've convinced you guys out there, but I, they just can't just eject it. They can't just toss it to the wayside and just print, even though I trust that if they did, they wouldn't print so many, say, underground seas that they would actually tank the market. I just don't think they would. They they know better. They understand how many cards can go onto the market at a time without tanking it. But I just don't think they would because it, it trashes the spirit of the reserved list. So that's not going to happen. So what should they do? How do you... How do you fix that? Is is it worth fixing? Should we change anything, or are no. we completely okay with it? Like, I'm at the point like it's kind of, I'm kind of okay with it. Like it's like honestly, the dual lands. I don't think they need to be reprinted. I understand for like you as a legacy player, I get why you would want more in the market, so they're not four hundred dollars a piece. Yeah, but I don't think like a standard or a modern need those. I really don't. Now, uh, let's yeah let's go ahead and tackle the dual lands right now because i i do want to talk about some comments that some listeners have sent in we we got a few emails and tweets about these sorts of things and we did read them all we thank you all for your input and those of you who wrote in we'll see how it it shapes some of the things we're about to talk about but i want to talk about uh one listener who wrote in his name is justin and justin actually suggested that a part of the problem that we're seeing here is that the original dual lands were actually too powerful because they're essentially, from a design standpoint, they're essentially strictly better than basic lands. There's that is pretty 100% much, true. Yeah, there's just no downside. The closest thing you can get to a downside, if you try, if you want to try and contrive a downside, is if you had a card that only blows up one basic type. Well, if your dual land happens to have that basic type, now it's vulnerable too. But I, 
I just don't see where that's a problem. Or if you're, you're worried about Island Walk, okay, well, let's say I'm playing my Underground Seas in a, a mono black deck. Well, now Island Walk is a problem. Okay, but that's, that's really contrived. Look, they're better. They're just straight up better. They're more flexible. They're, they're better. They're probably too good. Would they break a current format? Let's say Watsi loses their mind and tomorrow goes, you know what? Uh, starting in, uh, whatever the next set, Eldritch Moon. Eldritch Moon is going to have the dual lands. Well, they'll sell a lot of that set. Oh, good God. It would, they could just make hats out of the money that they would make, at least for that set. But beyond that, things would go downhill fast. But I don't think it would break standard. They'd be, it would, it would break modern. Uh, it would break modern. Yeah, absolutely. Cause they have the fetches in there. Um, but. It would also tank the market for the Shocklands. Yeah, it would. I mean, even if it didn't tank the market for... uh, What it would actually do is drive up the price of the original Dual Lands, because now they're modern legal, while simultaneously destroying the market for the Shocklands. And increasing the market for fetches even more so. Yeah, so it would actually make a lot of the problems with modern worse. So not yes. not only would it it wouldn't break standard, but it would just do awful awful things to modern. There would be a lot of unforeseen consequences. I mean, we've had twenty years of this ecosystem slowly reaching the point that it's at now. I personally think a lot of the reprints and reprinting that they would do wouldn't break standard as much as it would break modern. Yes. And yes, modern and is clearly a format they want to keep going. I was going to say, I want to, I want to table that thought. I want to come back to modern in a minute, but for now, I, I want to touch on some of the other things that uh, the folks in in the email have said. Uh, Justin is just one of several people uh, who have suggested, as well as uh, Colin, who who wrote it in and said essentially the same thing. Uh, that instead, what Watsi should focus on is not even finding a way around the letter of the reserved list, but just design cards that fulfill the role of a reserved list card, but either do it better or do it in a different way. So instead of, uh, okay, so here's, here's a good example. Um, Mox, uh, Mox Opal? Is that right? No. No. Which one are you trying to think uh, The of? Metalcraft one. Mox Opal. Okay, so Mox Opal. Mox Opal is a fixed Mox, right? If you want to go back to a vintage card for a minute. The original Moxen were just too powerful. They're just straight up, that is way too much mana acceleration, way too fast. But with Mox Opal, it's some mana acceleration, but if you really want to take advantage of it right away, you have to build a very specific kind of deck to do it situationally it's really good everywhere else it's just pretty good right so the the metalcraft version of a moxen was actually decent so what if they went that way what if they looked for design areas where here's a role that a card that's on the reserve list fulfills let's try and fill that role with a different kind of card let's design our way out of this they they did that with ancestral recall by making it a suspend card uh yeah and boy that worked out fine no, no, no problems there, except for, um, that, that, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's, it's not, not quite perfect, but where, where I think this problem or this design idea, I think where this falls down is that in at least some cases, the card that was originally printed, like going back to the dual lands, the card that was originally printed was so good. The card you would have to make to dislodge it would be way too good. It would be power creep on an epic scale. 
and it would just shatter the heck out of out of modern, for instance. Well, I mean, to get correct, like all of the Power Nine is not on the reserve list, correct? Uh, no, all of the Power Nine is on the reserve. Mm, Lightning Bolt's not on the reserve list. They had that Magic Twelve. Uh, yeah, but Lightning Bolt is not one of the Power Nine. I thought, oh, that's one of the boons. Never it mind. was one that's of the one... boons. Yes. Sorry, I was confusing it with one because one of the boons is part of the Power Nine, but. Right, That's but the rest aren't, because one of them was just way too damn good. The other ones were, eh, those are pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, Lightning Bolt is a very good example of a card that uh, is from the early days and is incredibly good and incredibly powerful, but it occasionally does see reprints these days. I, I actually don't know if the new design philosophy at Watsi. I think Lightning Bolt's probably too good for them to print in a set these days. I think so. Which makes me a little bit sad. Uh, so I, I got to thinking, I got to spitballing. I can see them giving you a Phyrexian lightning bolt. Wait, one that I could pay with for with life? Yeah, but it would cost two life. No, I can't. I I don't think so. That's a separate discussion, but I don't think Watsi will ever give us cards that are free like that again, because it was just a bad idea. But you have to control a mountain. Okay, that that's a little better. Um, but the man, the, the original Phyrexian mana spells, man, those just took the color pie out behind the barn and beat it with a stick. I'm I'm going to say this. I've said this a lot. Nothing beats gut shotting at the birds before it's even your turn. Yeah, it's an okay feeling, uh, but that's just because you hate green. It's not even just that I hate green, which I do. Right. I hate it so yeah, much. Let's be clear. It's um some decks had a hard time with dealing with green, and it, um I disliked it because there's so many greedy green players that kept terrible hands off of birds. Oh yeah, that's the real thing that does it. Um, speaking of greedy players, here's a digression for, uh, last weekend, I was down in North Carolina briefly. No, the weekend before I was down in North Carolina briefly, a friend's wedding was going on down there and I managed to go play legacy at atomic empire. It's a great shop. You should check it out, check it out. And I was playing against, uh, a friend of mine who I used to play legacy with a lot in uh, the first round. And he had a real greedy keep. He didn't know which of my decks I had brought with me and his, his first turn, uh, he had a fetch, and he cracked the fetch and grabbed a dual land, and I forget what he cast off the dual land. And I just uh, went wasteland, destroy your dual land, go. And he said, okay, and he drew for the turn and passed. Because he had the one land, and he was just hoping he could get there. Green players do the same thing if they've got uh, a mana bird or an elf that can produce mana, any mana dork. They're like, hey, I got the one land in a mana dork. We'll get there. Yeah, well, there goes your bird. Enjoy that. And most of the time they did get there. That was the bad part. Yeah, that is the downside. They're usually pretty resilient to such things, but sometimes they're not. Uh, anyway, so here's, here's a thought that I had. What if, what if we could eliminate not not the reserved list itself, but what if we just go ahead and ban? This is actually a solution that some people have suggested. What if you ban the reserved list cards in Legacy? A no reserved list. Now, I've occasionally advocated for this just because I thought it was an interesting idea. The longer I think about it, the less enamored I am. And uh, allow me to explain. And um, That would t destroy the secondary market. Uh, yeah, so that's one thing that it would do, right? But let's let's not even look at that. Let's just l let's look at a more basic problem. What does it actually do to the format itself? Well, first of all, the format is no longer legacy, and that's something that Colin pointed out in his email to us that a no reserved list legacy isn't actually legacy. So stop that. 
But now let's imagine that the only dual lens that people really have access to are the shocks. And don't get me wrong, I know there's some other solutions that have come along since then, but let's just, let's just limit it to the shocks for a second. Let's pretend. It certainly changes the decisions people make. So people are gonna, there's a new decision tree that happens. I can fetch, and I can fetch a shock, and I can even bring that shock in tapped, but if I crack a fetch and, or and bring it in untapped, if I crack a fetch and bring it in untapped, I've essentially lightning bolted myself. Is it worth it to do it that fast? And that's certainly a new and interesting kind of uh, decision tree to bring into Legacy. It's a decision tree that modern players deal with all the time, but if you did that, the advantage you just gave to the aggro decks is simply astonishing. Yeah. I mean, if, if I could get a nickel for every time running an aggro deck or a red burn list that I'd got my opponent down to one or two life and then they stabilized, well, imagine if they're shocking themselves like two or three times a game. Oh, I'm just going to win. So it would terribly upset the balance that has existed in Legacy. So yeah, that's probably not a good idea. Uh, new designs, uh, diversifying the format that way, I think that's probably a better way to go. But uh, it it still hurts, right? It, this is one of those... I, I've, I've tried so hard to come up with an analogy uh, about the reserved list. Uh, the reserved list is one of those things... It's It's kind of like the dentist. Okay, do you enjoy going to the dentist, Rich? No. I don't either. I don't know anyone who actually enjoys going to the dentist. But at the same time, we know the dentist has to exist because without it, bad things happen. It's called Alabama. Well, now, okay, let's not alienate our listeners in Alabama. I was going to make a joke about the UK, but that's just because it's an easy target. Uh, but let's not alienate our listeners in the UK either. Let's just Let's just agree that dental hygiene is not the same everywhere. Let's just say that. Uh, but it's one of those things, it's a necessary evil. And, and that's, I think that's the best way to look at the reserved list, because it acknowledges two facts. One, it is an evil, right? It limits the expansion of the eternal formats, period. There's just no way around that. But at the same time, don't lose sight of the necessary part. It's something that they had to do with the time. Without it, Magic would have fallen apart. It was it was the band-aid that they needed at the time. But that band-aid has now become structural, right? It's 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 like we did a patch job, but if we pull that patch job out now, the whole thing could crumble. And that may seem a little hyperbolic, but I I sadly think it's true. I mean I, I agree. I think it just it's gonna stay and this is the way it is. And there's no one solution to fix it. There's just not. The closest thing to a solution, and that brings us back to a topic we skipped away from earlier, is modern. The solution to the reserved list is modern. And the longer I think about it, and the longer I play, the more convinced I become that that's actually the answer. Modern is the closest thing to an eternal format that will actually go on indefinitely. Or that could go on indefinitely. It gives you most of the... most, not all... Don't get me, I, I can hear you firing up the tweets right now. It gets you most of the features that you want in an eternal format. It's non-rotating, it has established decks and established archetypes that evolve slowly, but it's got some problems. The biggest problem is that Watsy keeps mucking with it. Now, that's a strength as well, okay, because if something goes Wait, wrong... 
I think, like I said, I don't, I don't, I think it's more of a strength than a weakness because, I mean, let's be real. Modern is, when you consider magic and legacy and all that stuff, modern's a young man. It is. And it's going to take the right amount of time to figure out what the proper ban, what should be legal, what not. And one, they take a lot more stuff into account than they ever did before about eternal formats. Yeah. And I think they think about modern a lot when they're making new cards. Oh, absolutely. And the, the, I mean, I think, you know, in probably the other five, eight years, you're not going to see nearly the ban, banning, unbanning with modern. They're going to find its sweet spot. Yeah, it's going to take some fine-tuning, and there are going to be missteps. We've seen the missteps, quite frankly. Uh, you know, I, let's just look at the Eldrazi menace that came up real, real quick. Uh, so it's, it is young. It is absolutely positively young. But I think you're right. I think they're going to get there. I think they're going to find the right balance, and then modern will stay roughly, roughly okay. It'll get new decks that come in, new cards that come in, certain decks will fall out of favor, certain new decks will crop up. Uh, but for right now, yeah, things are going to go bad now and then. Uh, we'll have a few months when things are awful, but with the new release cycle, there's a new set coming soon, and they can ban what they need to or unban what they need to to fix it. And I think it's going to be where where you're going to have a place to go to. Now, does that mean that Legacy and Vintage are dead? I think that that's a little premature as well. Are they? Dying? I think Star City announced the funeral of Legacy when they started running Modern Tournament. Yeah, it may not have been the funeral, but it's not. I, yeah, I. It hurts me to say this out loud, but I don't know that I can find fault in your reasoning there. They were the biggest supporter of Legacy. Does it hurt you because I'm right, or does it hurt you because it's about Legacy dying? It hurts me because it's about Legacy dying. Okay. I, I don't I don't mind you being right. I mean, you know, you, you hate green, that's fine. But you also like blue, so that you're you're sometimes wrong. That's fine. But I don't hate red. Okay, well then, okay, then we're fine. We're fine. It's all good. And I love playing Boros if I could throw a little bit of white in it. Or blue in it. Uh yeah, okay, sure. Uh isn't that God, which one is that? Jeskai. Jeskai, yeah. Okay, that's totally Jeskai. Uh but can we make it just a splash of blue? Just a tiny bit? Um the splash of blue is for Snapcaster, yeah, sure. Oh, snap. There's a there, card that... There's a reserve list card, huh? Yeah, there's a card that ought to be on the reserve list. That's that's for sure. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think I think Modern's the future of, of that. And I think Watsy has made it obvious that that's kind of what they're pushing. Now, they still show some loving to the Eternal formats. They still print really cool, interesting cards that have no home in Modern in weird auxiliary products like the Commander decks uh, or Conspiracy. Uh, and that's cool. I, I like that. I like that. Cause I mean, if you think about it, there is no real financial incentive to Watsi to support the eternal formats because it's not a lot. It's not long term sustainable for them to do that. Um, well, as long as they run modern tournament, the GPs, which have very good res- um, turnouts, that's, that's monetary good, beneficial to them. Yeah. But I mean, like cards that only work in legacy. There's there's no real reason for that doesn't that. really benefit them in any way. Now, just you, because they run, how, I mean, how many modern tournaments do they really run a year? A modern, a bunch. Oh, I mean, legacy, sorry, legacy, like two. Yeah, and even that number, I think, may go down. Sadly, it's such a high barrier to entry. I mean, I mean, modern's high barrier to entry too, but legacy's so much worse. It really is. It really is. Uh, okay, so here's a real pure conjecture question to uh, to leave you with, Rich. All right. 
because we're I, I think we're kind of winding up. I don't know if if you have more uh, you want to you want to say about the reserved list, which you may. I mean, I know we haven't gone into you know specifics of this card and this card and how it would be better if this card came off. I, I don't think we really need to do that. This is more of a a broad discussion of the philosophy oh. of the reserved list. Do you think that magic is in a bubble, financially speaking, right now? Define what you mean by bubble. We have seen a bunch of card prices just skyrocket, just just continually spiral up and up and up, to the point that a card like Flippy Jace, Flippy Jace is worth more right now than Jace the Mind Sculptor. Are you serious? I'm pretty sure it is. Last I checked, it, it was, or at least on par with it. That's just insane. That that's disgusting. Yeah, let me just check here. Uh, Jace Friends Prodigy. I'll just check at a unnamed online magic retailer. Jace Friends Prodigy in normal, not not foil, not normal English is a hundred dollars. That's that's insane. That is frankly insane. Yes, I agree. Uh, let's check his uh, older brother. Uh, who's been around for a little while, which, by the way, I still think that they could unban. Uh, in modern? Yeah, I think they could. I think they could unban Stoneforge. Uh, that's certainly a possibility, and it may be a better possibility than them uh, unbanning. <coughs> that's right, Thor. I agree. He's so mad right now. Yeah, who, who can blame him? I mean, we're talking about you know, Big Daddy Jace. Sorry, I'm having problems with uh, the unnamed magic retailer being uh, responsive. Here we go. Uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor, the World Wake version, $100. Oh my goodness. One, that's a, that's a pretty big drop in price for him. Two, wow. If you want the From the Vault 20 foil version, it's only $89. Well, isn't it because that's not, um, they don't like those for tournaments? Yeah, they don't like the foiling process, and I, I can agree with that. Now, would, they, would a tournament official stop you from using those cards in a tournament? Oh no, certainly not. Certainly not. They're perfectly legal. They're just more prone to curling than regular foils, and so you have a better chance of them being marked at some point. So a lot of people just don't. Some people just don't like the way they look, honestly. Not my per- it's not my personal favorite. Yeah, some people like that foiling process, some do not. And that's that's fine to each their own. No, all must agree with me. Oh, oh you're a magic player, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, so yeah, Jace Vryn's Prodigy is a hundred dollars. Uh, we have Underground Seas up at four hundred dollars. I mean, all of the all of the the big legacy staples are spiraling up. If you want to look at, oh, okay, here. So let's 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 go for the moon, shall we? Do you have any idea how much a Black Lotus is worth these days? Six hundred dollars. <laughs> oh, you're so cute. Is that you're is so that on the low cute. end, really? Uh, yeah, so if you can get your hands on, and we're not even going to go alpha or beta, let's go unlimited. If you can get your hands on a mint, near mint copy of Black Lotus, $6,500. Oh my god. Yeah, that's a card that can only be played in vintage. You can only have one copy of it in vintage. Again, don't get me wrong, there aren't a lot of these things in circulation, and finding a mint near mint one, sure, that's that's hard to do. How about this, though? The uh, the the collector's edition one, the, like, gold-bordered, not-tournament-legal one? Mm-hmm. $500. Well, that's Commander right there. Yeah, that's what that is. And table. But still, $500. You can't even play that in a tournament, and it's $500. That's insane. It really is. And God help you if you want to get an alpha. Would oh, you, yeah, I want to know. That would make me sad. I was going to say, would you like to take a guess? 
Mint, Mint near Mint Alpha, Black Lotus. This unnamed retailer currently has one in stock. They have a scan of it online if you'd like to take a look at its condition. I would think you would have to for me to ever buy a Black Lotus or from anyone. I would have to see the scan before I bought it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and most of the major retailers will totally do that for you. But uh, here, I'm just going to I'm just going to send a link to you here in the chat, Rich. Just go ahead and have a look at that. Be sure to click. Be sure to click for the high res version. Maybe before you look at the price tag. Oh, I didn't want to be sad today. Yeah, I'm sorry. Click for high res. Actual. Oh my, that's that's impressive for an actual scan. That is pretty. Really that's alpha. Pretty. This is alpha. You said this is alpha. Yeah, look at the corners. That's totally. Oh right. my. Oh, you looked at the price, didn't you? Oh my. For those of you playing along at home, this is your last chance to get in a guess before we let you know. And Price is Right rules. You can have this right now for the low, low price of $19,999.99. That's right, a cool 20 k for this card. It is a piece of cardboard that's like 2 inches by 3 inches. To be fair, we have pieces of green paper that we that we say are worth $20. We do, but at least that's the U.S. government backing it up rather than just a bunch of Magic players. But it's... it's I understand that, but in a... The basic sense of economy, anything is costed that is valued at what people are willing to pay for it. Yeah, twenty thousand dollars for a magic card. That's for like me, a car. That's a nice car. For me, that might might as well be saying your your hand. Yeah, and that th- that is more than what I paid for my current car. And I bought that car. That was a nice car. Yeah, it's it's slightly less than when I bought my car new. And let me tell you, you're not taking a loan over that because that card's not collateral. Yeah, probably not. Although, if you do own one of these, I do recommend that you make sure to talk to your insurance company and make sure that they're aware of what it is, specifically what it is. Not just, don't, don't let them just write down magic card. Let them write down Alpha Black Lotus Near Mint. Okay, they need to know exactly what it is, because if that thing gets stolen or damaged or destroyed, they are going to pay you the value of whatever it is they have written down. So be really careful with that kind of crap. Yes. But my God, now I'm depressed. $20,000. You, you made me sad. Well, that's a great way to end a show. Depression? Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, it sure will. So, oh, I, you know, what have we accomplished over the past hour? I hope that what we've accomplished is, number one, to convince you that the reserved list had a reason when it was invented. Uh, it wasn't just invented because collectors are jerks. It was invented to keep the game alive. Secondly, that Watsi's word does mean something, and if they throw away the reserve list, it doesn't anymore, and that's just not something that they can do. True. And that the spirit of the reserved list has to be considered, at least. It's not that we can just change things' names and call it good. That's not going to fly. That doesn't even satisfy the spirit of the or the letter of the reserve list. But the solution to it is, I guess, to learn to live with it. And I know that's not very satisfying. And I know people are going to disagree. And I'm sure some people are probably angry. They're like, man, this is a terrible discussion. I hate you guys. Look, some things in life just don't have good answers. And this is one of them. Watsy made a choice at one point to get us to where we are today. I honestly think sometimes you need to respect those choices. Yeah, they did what they had to. They're not proud of it. I mean, if you ask anybody at Watsi who's willing to talk about it, and that's almost no one at this point, I assume because the lawyers said, seriously, shut the hell up. But if you can find any of them who are willing to talk about it, they'll tell you, it was a bad idea. We screwed up. But we have to live with it, and there's no going back. We can't just throw it away. 
and that's where we stand. The reserved list is, live with it. That's also depressing. And $20,000, that's depressing too. That's the most depressing? It may be. Maybe. All right. Well, if you guys want to get in touch with us and tell us all about the stuff we screwed up and how we're wrong about everything, that's fine. We don't mind. We'll read it. Um, we might not respond if that's all you say, but we'll, we'll at least read it. Uh, I do want to thank, uh, Colin and Justin and CJ and a bunch of other people who responded to us on Twitter and on the emails, uh, who gave us some of the input for uh, what we've talked about tonight. Uh, oh, by the way, one thing that CJ, not that CJ, not, not CJ Schrader, but another CJ who wrote to us, um, he suggested that if they are going to break the reserved list, they would have to do some caveats. For instance, promise that they will only ever put things in limited print run products. So that's fine. Okay. If they're going to break their word, they can make a new promise that they might break. That's the only thing that concerns me there. But they could also say, look, we're not going to reprint any of the original art, which would help to preserve. Uh, the secondary market to a certain extent. And, and I see where he's coming from there. It would, but not enough. Yeah. It, I mean, like you said, though, really, if they said, all right, we'll reprint the, the dual lands, but the art will be different. Yeah. That's still, you're still reprinting the dual lands. It doesn't matter. The art's not the same. So at that point, it's pretty much saying, well, you know, whatever else they say, you know, this new format setting, who knows what they'll do? Because they said this could be, you know, two, 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 two. Yeah. And, who knows? Now they do four or five. The word will mean nothing. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna now do a crossover into our inevitable comic book episode. My least favorite comic book artist ever is a guy named John Romita Jr. Not John Romita Sr., but John Romita Jr. I abhor his art style. I absolutely hate it. But if they made dual lands with art by John Romita Jr., I would still go for them. Because they're dual lands. Because they're dual lands, exactly. Yeah, it could be a picture of Morrow giving me the finger on every single one. I'd still buy it. it could, they could have nothing but green mana symbols on all of them. Like, just the artwork is a big green mana symbol, and Rich would probably still play it. Well, as long as it still taps for blue. Exactly. Although I'd, I'd say red. Maybe red and white. Or, and, or both. Yeah, I'm going red-white. Yeah, Taiga. Fair. I'm, I'm underground sea. Yeah, that's... Well, if you want to get in touch with us, tell us all the things we did wrong. You can you can do that. Uh, we're still at the old addresses. We haven't uh, quite worked out the kinks of the new addresses yet. And uh, you can still find us at the old website, too. So I'll give you all of that. Uh, you can find us on the Twitters. We are at CardAdvantage, at least for now. Uh, you can email us. We are mtgcardadvantage at gmail.com. You can find us on the interwebs themselves at cardadvantagecast.com. Although, if you go to randomdiscard.com, which will be our new home, it currently redirects to the old site. So you can, you can bookmark that. If you, do people still bookmark? I think people just Google things now. Google is there. I think some people still bookmark a little bit. Yeah. Well, anyway, you can get a you can get a hold of us in those ways. I'd say they put them in their history, but let's be real, that gets deleted. Every oh day. yeah, everybody clear their history. I mean, come on, can you not? Especially if you're married. Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, if you want to reach me directly, you can do that best ways on Twitter. I am at Lockluze, spelled just like it is in ye olde show notes. I'm still at Law Mage because the, stu- the new Twitter idea I wanted is taken. It makes me sad face. Wait, I thought you were Mind Mage. Am I? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought you were... I don't know. Because long ago you were Law Mage, but then you switched to Mind Mage. The A in Mage is a 4. That is all true. Either way, it's the thing that's in the show notes. Actually, I'm going to see if that name is still gone. If it's still gone, I'm going to be sad. Yeah, it still bugs me that somebody has clues. Um, But that's fine. They they beat me to it. They're Japanese. 
they haven't tweeted in years. I think they have like five tweets, but their tweets are all private, so I haven't really had a conversation with them. You should get them. Yeah, one of these days I, I will try and approach them. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't harbor any ill will towards them. It's just, you know, I'd like to contact them and go, hey, look, you're not using this. Could, could I use this? Let's be real close. You, you harbor a little bit of ill will. No, 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 no. I did initially. I felt, I was really upset, but, you know, I'm sure it meant something to them at the time because it, it was a long time ago. So in a galaxy far, far away, which, hey, speaking of which, uh, Force Awakens just came out on Blu-ray. Did you pick it up? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Same here. I'm going to be watching it this weekend. It was really good. Oh, hey, have you seen the new trailer? I, I know, look, I know the show ended. Um, I swear, uh, maybe not. You know what? You know, here, we're going to end the show. Tune into the stinger afterwards, and you'll hear what I was about to say. Ha-ha, there you go. you got to listen to the ending theme song. <laughs> Thank you all very much for joining us, and we will see you all next time. Okay, so here, we're now in the stinger, um, which is not really a stinger so much as an afterthought. Uh, let's say it's a PS. I, I don't know. Uh, did you see the trailer for, uh, uh, what is it, Rogue One? I have not seen that yet. I know it oh, came out today. Oh, you should go do that, like, right now. Here, let's right. let's let's watch it live. Rogue One trailer. First thing that comes up in YouTube when I type in Rogue. Yep, Rogue One. I'm going to oh. go. I'm going to go get it here. It's the official teaser. I'm starting it now. So am I. Then I'm going to turn down the volume because it's probably going to be too loud. Oh, that's good. It looks just like Moth Monma. It really does. They've done such a great job. Oh, man. That's a beautiful shot. It really is. Really? Forrest Whitaker? Yeah, I know. Holy <laughs> Exactly, man. I agree 100%. I want to see this. Uh, is, are they, is Disney just going to make December the best month ever? <laughs> <laughs>